You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. This show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. Hello and welcome to this episode of the British GT Fan Show, fueled by TCF Sports Cars. Join us for all the latest in the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship and more. Coming up, we've got the second part of our review of the latest action at Donington Park and our hints and tips for your visit to Snetterton. The British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith alongside resident British GT expert Nicholas Smith and Andrew Brightman and Gaz Jacobs of the British GT fans. Moving on to the standings for GT3, uh, at the bottom of the table, we have three teams who weren't at Donington at the weekend, uh, being Beach Dean AMR, AF Course UK and JMH Auto. Um, so there's not really a lot to say about them at the moment. We did, however, have an appearance uh, from a round-by-round entry of Ultimate Speed in a Aston Martin Vantage AMR GT3. So it's nice to see an Aston Martin in the GT3 ranks, uh, driven by Michael Brown and Matt Manderson. But picking up with the first of the teams who did attend at the weekend, we have got the Balf Motorsport number 36 McLaren 720S GT3, driven by Stuart Proctor and Joe Osborne. Yeah, um, Stuart Proctor and and Joe Osborne managed to get an a, an eleventh point eleventh uh, place finish, just outside the points and a, and a lap down off the lead. Um, just use their just run their usual kind of race. You know, they're not they're not they're not going to be up there challenging with the big boys at the moment. Yeah, um, I think Stuart drove a lot better this weekend than um, than, than he has, and obviously Joe put him in anything with the uh, McLaren swoosh on it. And it's going to go pretty much as fast as that particular chassis can shift. Um, that 30 second penalty um, in terms of their finishing time, then makes the situation look a lot worse than it actually is. But it didn't actually adjust their position at all. They finished the 30 second penalty and they finished 33.433 seconds behind the next car up. So it was kind of a penalty which didn't punish anything really. Um, in terms of pace, it was it was pretty damn good. Uh, not the fastest car on the track, but it was it was up there. It's just it's difficult when you're not doing a full season. You're up against teams that are, because the teams that are make progress a lot quicker with a car. If anything, I think Stuart's just got to. You know, get his pace up a little bit more, and you know he could he, he could be he could be challenging for high high mid table next year, and come the year after, if he's still if he's still going going around, then looking at podiums, you know, the, the year after maybe. As I say, they run they run their race. You know, they 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 they're scoring points. You know, towards their own 
championship, I suppose. So then they've done them what they're out there to do. So ninth in the standings for GT3, we have Stella Motorsport um, with their Audi R8 LMS GT3. Now they are currently standing on 21 points, taking away nine points in the last round at Donington. Uh, their car, of course, driven by Richard Williams and Senan Fielding. This is the second outing for them. Uh, let's talk about their race. It was better than better than Brands Hatch. That's that, that's for certain. Despite finishing in seventh, uh, the the performance is is slightly disguised by the fact that they were a bit short on their third stop by about sixteen seconds. And if you're 16 seconds short on your pit stop, you have to take a trip down pit lane, sit there for 16 seconds and then carry on. So it actually ends up costing you the better part of 37, 38 seconds, um, which obviously pushed them a bit further down the order. Um, again, it looked great. It went pretty darn well. If it wasn't for that, call it 37 seconds in the pits that's going to put them 12 seconds off the off the uh off the lead of the race then and that would put them in third ahead of jensen team rocket so it could have been a bloody good finish for them um and stella really have no almost no excuse for a mistake like that. They've been racing in the championship for, for three, four years. They Stella was born of GPRM that have been racing in it for even longer. So they should know the rules, but it, it's very easy in the pressure of the moment to make a mistake. Such a shame uh, that they're a penalty. Um, they did brilliantly all weekend, say second round for that car. Sedan was chucking that car around behind the Optimum McLaren at one point, trying to take the lead and gave up and made his, I think it was his second um, mandatory pit stop. It was, yeah, it was, as um, Nick said, it, it could have been a, up there fighting for the podium with um, Michael O'Brien and James Baldwin in the um, Jensen Team Rocket RJN. If, if fans and butts, it could have been up there. It's a shame. They'll learn and move on to the next round where they won first time out of their GT4 last year. So in eighth position in the GT3 season standings, we've got Team Parker Racing. Now, unfortunately, they did not score any points uh, this weekend as the car sadly retired. Uh, so this, of course, is the Bentley Continental GT3 driven by Nick Jones and Scott Malvin, number 66. So... Fill us in on what happened with this. It was a complete opposite to the last time we were at Donington, where obviously they came away with a race win. I think it was electrical issues which um, finally sort of stopped them. But even before that, they weren't on the pace again. Um, they were sort of hanging around the sort of the bottom end of the top 10. Um, mm. It was, um, you know, it's, it was a, like I say, um, it was a, Strange performance by you expecting much more after what they did last time. Um, but it's it's not going right for them, it seems to be. I think you're right that it was an electrical issue in the end, and I know they took quite a while trying to work out what it was. Um I wonder 
if that had been kind of plaguing them the whole way through because as you say they did seem quite off the pace yeah i um as i was watching the race the the bentley bentley just seemed to be kind of dropping back from from where where you'd expect it to be um eventually retiring into the pits and as as i remember on the commentary they were saying you know scott Mulvin was saying it was something maybe something wrong with the engine which they eventually tracking down to uh electrical gremlins and you know that that trying to find a an electrical fault on 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 that on that on that car you know with you know could be almost a mile's worth of cabling inside of it you know he's gonna he's gonna be a uh a, 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 a few days work at least i thought um yeah bad luck for them it's the problem with with these modern cars um i mean i'm finding it with with my road car there's an electrical gremlin in there somewhere and it's tripping different systems so if there is an electrical problem somewhere in the in the brains of the of the car then it's going to detect a problem and it's going to almost put itself into a limp home mode it's going to it's it's not going to fire right it's going to a, a problem with something unrelated to the actual suck, squeeze, bang, blow can put the suck, squeeze, bang, blow off. Um, and you can't necessarily go from the symptoms to find out what the problem is. You, you've got to go through it with a wiring diagram and find out which, which wire's broken. It could be a sensor issue or something like that. It usually is. Something probably costs about three p to fix, probably as well. <laughs> but they always say, man, it's the cheapest component that always fails, and it's always buried right inside the thing. Yeah. Is it fifty cents Jubilee yeah. clip Toyota? <laughs> so we move now to seventh in the standings with Team Other Racing. 31 points in total so far. They took away six points at the weekend. And of course, Team Abba Racing is the father-son team of Richard and Sam Neary, uh, the number eight car driving a Mercedes-AMG GT3. I think Team Abba just ran a really solid race. Uh, I don't I think I ever really saw them, you know, get into any particular troubles or anything like that. Um, during during the race, they you know they they did what they needed to do um, to get to to get the get the get, get the points they wanted. Um, yeah, I I I can't I can't actually I actually, I actually noticed them doing much on on I've got to say unless unless someone else is going to point something out as well. Yeah, I mean they they obviously planned their strategy and stuck to their strategy from the start. Um, looking through all the all the reams and reams of paper that TSL produce, thankfully in a PDF, so I haven't got to kill several trees to to go through it all. Sam, who obviously is the faster of the two, did one hour thirty four point five five in the car of one hour forty allowed. So you you don't get much close to that reacting they had their plan they stuck to it it got them p8 uh in the in the race uh which obviously then would have been probably second in class um because of the number of silvers that are around and 
I think it was it was probably the best they could they they, they could have hoped for with the number of I say silver 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 lineups there, and again a circuit which I suppose the older Mercedes isn't as handicapped at Donington, um, because it is a a big talky powery drag yourself out the corners and up the hill circuit. Again, didn't see them do anything wrong, um, but didn't see them that much because they were down in the bottom of the top 10 and the action at the front of the top 10 was was so um, impressive. There was a good little battle um, going on between Sam Neary and Yelma Berman for about five, six, probably even up to 10 laps. Sam Neary was all over the backside of Yelma Berman. And I'm thinking he was in the, obviously in the older car, so technically he's slower. And he was hassling Yelma for, for ages. It was just, it was really good to see. And spin Sam's first full year with British GT in a GT3 car. That boy is going to go places, I think. And of course, he finished ahead of the Yelma and Loggy car at the at the end at the end of the race as well. I would have been attributed to Loggy's spin. I'd have thought Loggy spun right at the beginning towards the in the, in the first half hour. Plus, mm-hmm. they did also did have a uh, drive through at some point for something, which I can't remember yeah. off the top of my head. Yes. Oh, no, it was, just, it was at one point in the middle of the race, Sam Neary was just all over Yama Berman. It was just like, well, this is the Mercedes works driver who's got an 18-year-old sitting right behind him. I was, just, I was It was very impressive to watch. It's it's a new generation coming through, and I've I put it down to the fact that these, these kids, uh, I call them a kid, 18, um, but but these younger drivers that are coming through now, their first taste of racing isn't carts anymore. Their first taste of racing is on the Xbox or the PlayStation or the Nintendo or whatever it is that they've got, where they don't learn to have the fear, where they learn to push it right to the limit, not get as... I can't remember who it was we were talking to that said, the professional drivers take it to the point where if they go any further, they might go off. Whereas people that have learned in the electric world where there is no, or the electronic world where there's no penalty to going off tend to go f- closer to the limit. Sam has been peddling the, the old BMW around in a brick car for a while though. So he, he's, got, he's got a fair bit of experience. Um, hmm. Actually, actually, in a in a car going around a circuit rather than rather than anything esport like. And he did the uh, brick car last year in the AMG. In the, in the Merc, yeah, yeah. So he's first year British GT driver, but second year in that car. As we move on now to sixth in the championships, we've got Optima Motorsport. Uh, single car entry, currently standing on 59.5 points. They took away 15 points at the weekend with the number 96 McLaren 720S GT3, driven by Lewis Proctor and Ollie Wilkinson. A bit of a different strategy from these guys to a lot of the other teams uh, with a very, very late 
set of pit stops. Let's talk about their race. Yeah, they um they were caught in a battle pack for for for, for quite a bit of the race. And it's a battle pack, unfortunately, all of McLaren's. So their car had no advantage over anybody else. They finished fifth in the race behind one of the two C's cars and the Jensen Team Rocket RJM car. Less than three seconds covered those three cars at the end of a three-hour race. That's pretty darn good. and. The pace was there right to the end. Uh, Ollie Wilkinson set the car's fastest lap. It wasn't. It wasn't a million miles off the fa- outright fastest lap in the class. Uh, it was a second off off Phil Keynes, but it was done on the final lap. Um, so they carried pace right the way through. Um, with regards to the stops, right, the final stint was was less than half an hour. So they they ran an hour, they ran an hour. They then ran 20 minutes and swapped over, uh, obviously, so they didn't run into maximum drive time limits. But, I mean, the other thing is their pit stops were on the nose. Uh, one minute 50, one minute 50, one minute 50 for three pit stops. All, co- all covered by the difference between their their shortest and their longest stop was just over a hundredth of a second. <laughs> you don't, that's astonishing precision. Uh, yeah, I I, I I think I'm optimum. Um, we're having a, a fairly good a fairly good race. Um, they had a bit of uh, contact at the, at the very beginning, which. Um, which actually ended up with the WPI uh, car, uh, along with the number ten car of um, two Cs, um, yeah, which ended up with WPI car spinning off into the gravel. What I suppose we'll come to that later. Um, you know, they had they had a fairly good race. I mean, even to a point whereby they were leading at one point, uh, and they were still in the hunt um, until. You know all the strategies played out, and unfortunately they 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 dropped back to fifth overall. So, um, you know, three hour race should should suit this team a little bit better. They 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 used to doing this over in Europe. Um, so, you know, I, it's a, it's a, it's a shame really. I mean, they they could they could have got a win here, but um, strategy, you know, got the better of them. I think. Um, you know, better luck next time. One thing I had noticed while being nosy through some of the official notes for the meeting was that Optimum's McLaren in silver, silver spec is 15 kilos lighter than the other silver, silver uh, McLaren cars. So that would have probably helped them a tiny bit with their fuel and tyre life. That might have helped them, so it would have helped them a, a bit. Does it give a reason for that? Uh, no, it's uh, no no official reason. I'm guessing because perhaps the Optimum McLaren hasn't been performing as well as the others. It might have been a little performance break. 
say it's a their silver cup adjustment is 30 kilos compared to the others which are 45. That is peculiar. It does kind of sound like they're giving them a break, doesn't it? A little bit, but um, they're the only one car team in silver, silver. The only thing I can think of is they 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 give them a break. <laughs> Jensen team rocket RJ. Oh yeah, so is yeah. Oh. Well, right. So they're they, one, that, of, two, they they're one of two one car teams in silver, silver. <laughs> and Jensen got the forty five k as well. Yeah, they have. Yeah, they got forty five k on it. But then they've won two races. No, one race. Well, normally, well, normally, normally that forty five k goes on the bottom of James Baldwin's, you know, right foot, doesn't it? You know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's that'll be that'll be that'll be something to have a look at now as to why they did that. Want to investigate and maybe have an answer for next episode? Maybe. Remember to do. <laughs> <laughs> so let's move on to fifth in the championship. Then uh, next up, we've got WPI Motorsport, uh, single car entry again, running on sixty-two to- points in total. Uh, they took away one and a half points in the latest round. Now, of course, WPI Motorsport are a little bit of a, a revolving door when they come to their second driver, as their number eighteen Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo. Uh, has a permanent driver one in Michael Igo. Um, and I think we're on our fourth driver now. Uh, this time we have Marco Mapelli doing driver two honours uh, at Donington. So let's talk about how the race went for them. Unfortunately, their race was ruined at the first corner. It was um, a bit of contact between the Optimum McLaren, the two C's McLaren, number 10, I think it was. Ended up facing the wrong way, stuck in the gravel. Marshalls gave it a shove, couldn't get it out. Had to be removed by the JCB and um, lost the lap. And that was basically the rest of the race. It was a case of just trying to catch up as much as they can. Um, it, it was promising so much more. Marco Mapelli seemed to be su- uh, suited uh, into Donington straight away. I believe he has raced there before. And um, yeah, it was just it was what could have been if it weren't for the contact at the beginning. Marco hasn't just raced at Donington before. I think he's actually raced in British GT at Donington before. Um, back in the late 2000s, if I remember rightly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, that, 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 that bit of contact on the fir- at the first corner was, yeah. We had two cars spin out there. I mean, I, I would say we'll get to the other one again later on. Um, but yeah, the, the fact the fact they had to drag it out with the with the telehandler, um, you know, that's that that cost that cost them a lap and 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 bought the safety car out. And after that, as as Andrew said, it was just damage limitation. Uh, I think they were I think they were really lucky to get the tenth place they did. Um, Mark and Rapelli, you know, really I think he was really aggressive in in trying to get those places back. And 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 I think the, I think he actually. Um, I think they can actually credit a lot of their uh, points to 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 his uh to his skill on the track. The team did everything they could to recover. They got to the front of their lap. They were the first car off the lead lap. 
um, they were hampered by a drive-through penalty in the final stint, which I mean, we're assuming is, is track limits. But, I mean, Marco impressed. Michael always impresses. But when you're facing the wrong way and you're stuck in the gravel at the end of the first corner, really, it's, it's damage limitation from then on. Hi, I'm Michael O'Brien, professional racing driver for McLaren, and I'm delighted to be joining the guys on the British GT Fan Show. Go and check them out, and uh, yeah, you won't be disappointed. And be sure to check out British GT Fans on Facebook and Fans of British GT on Instagram and Twitter. So as we move towards the top of the table now, we move to the fourth place in the standings for this season, and we've got two C's Motorsport. Currently on 75 points they took away 18 points this weekend we've got two cars entered uh, by them the numbers 9 and 10 both McLaren 720s GT3s with the number 9 being driven by Angus Fender and Dean McDonald and the number 10 with Jordan Witt and Jack Mitchell yeah it was, I think it was the, the, tail, the tail of the two cars in this, in this, with, the, with this team um, this weekend yeah, number 10 was Constantly at the at the sharp end of the field, um, and then you know a few mishaps for the number nine and a a blowout which sent them spinning at the old hairpin, and then what I think it was uh, suspension collapse eventually. Uh, actually, you know just just set, just sport their race from it. Um, again, it, you, you can't recover from that kind of thing. So um, yeah, you. you all, all, all credit to Jack and and Jordan in the uh, in the number ten car. You know, fourth place. That was that was well thought for. Um, commiserations to to the guys in the number nine car. It was a broken wishbone for the number nine. So they had a punch of one lap, which caused them to spin down at old hairpin. May have been wishbone involved as well. They came in, did a tire change, and literally straight away the. They were driving around with smoke pouring out the back of the car. I thought they missed a pit stop. I thought they missed the pits and gone round again. But it's turned out later on that they actually had a wishbone issue and um, ended up being seven laps down in the end. Trackside, so did I. Yeah. Um, but I, the way Dean McDonald was was bringing that car back into the pits, he could have done a lot more damage to that car than than what than what would have been necessary. I know he was trying to get it back as fast as he could, yeah. But he was normally you see the normally you see these guys trundling around if they if they've got anything wrong in like suspension failure or anything like that, or or even a just a, a blown tire. You know what I mean, just to make sure they don't damage anything else. And and, and Dean was just he wasn't going anywhere near race speed, but he was he was going faster than what you would normally expect. Um, a car. I'm in that kind of state to to be doing. So, you know, he he could he could have quite easily damaged the the car, you know, when bringing it back in with the blown tire. This, I mean, the the number ten got a result, and that's that's good. The number nine. I think the team are. They're too busy rushing to do things quickly. 
by by which I mean, and Sarah hopefully will remember and will vouch for this. When the car first came in with the puncture, although the, the commentary was talking about a puncture, and I said, no, that looks like suspension to me. I was going to say this if you didn't. Um, and I think and, that's the difference between uh, kind of seeing it at the track and on the TV, and it's probably one of the only few things that kind of is the better for the latter. Yeah, but if a if a tog that doesn't know which end of the spanner to hold can spot suspension failure on the TV from two counties over, then surely the bloke that takes the punctured wheel off can see the fact that the hub ain't where it should be before he puts the next wheel on. I I was very concerned when they sent out a car that had broken suspension when it came in. Um, now, when it first came out, my first thought was, oh, I was wrong. It was just a puncture. But then it was immediately apparent that I was right and there's something more seriously wrong with that car. They are, however, keeping themselves optimistic because the team are claiming the, the headline on their press release Further silverware keeps Two Seas Motorsport in the title hunt at Donington Park. I've had the calculator out on this one. They are two points away from being mathematically out of it with three rounds left. That's optimistic thinking you can overturn a 73-point deficit. <laughs> in which championship are they talking about? Silver, silver or overall? Overall, I think. Okay. Uh, uh, they, they don't. They don't say. They don't say. Um, but uh, that, that they are at least keeping, keeping uh, confident, and, and and keeping happy. Yeah, I suppose they're in it for the silver cup, the drivers' silver cup, aren't they? Yeah. So they have a decent snare and they're fully back up in there, aren't they? So. Just, yeah, it seems to be one car has bad luck. They don't seem, but it seems to be one car always has something. They can't get the two to the end, mm-hmm. but it's bad luck has to, has to stop sometime for them. And eventually, it could be next round, it could be the Silverstone round. Mm-hmm. Both cars, say, the number nine was up near the top when everything went, decided to go wrong for them. So mm-hmm. they were looking at probably a third and fourth or fourth or fifth sort of position. So it's just a bit I mean, of, if, if the nine didn't have bad luck, it wouldn't have any. That Angus Angus has just been and uh, obviously Dean in that car. They've just been unlucky throughout the year. It's um frustrating, <laughs> Yeah. But when I say unlucky, a lot of the issues have been if not caused by, compounded by mistakes from the team. So they need to they, they need to work on their procedures as much as they need to work on their pace. You don't like two seats, do you? Yes, I do. I think the cars are beautiful. The team have got the right attitude. Their communication's fantastic. They've got four good drivers in the car. They're just they've got problems with their execution. And I'm saying it because I want them to fix it. I want them to be as good as I hope they are. Don't, 
it's part part of my job description. I see errors in execution. It's my job to point them out. I'm a journalist, and it is. It's every every race meeting they fumble on one or other of the cars. I mean, we when said it. We said at the start of the season that it's not necessarily the team that gets the most wins, but it's going to be about the consistency. Mm. as much as anything and it is frustrating that there is consistency with how two yeah. teams have been performing it's just consistent bad luck <laughs> um, yeah. so you know I mean I I'm hoping it it clears because I'm still really kind of excited to see them when both cars are having a good day and not just one of them yeah Going back to the news uh, news item and the golf 12 hours, if they only take one car to the golf, they could be a serious challenger. I think the stretch of running two cars in their first year might be what's causing the issue. They, they've, they've still got to fine-tune their craft. So we move now to third in the current standings with the single car entry of Jensen Team Rocket RJN, currently at 90 and a half points on the table. Of course, this is the number two McLaren 720S GT3, driven by world's fastest gamer James Baldwin and Michael O'Brien. Um, another good race for these guys. They took away 22 and a half points uh, from the last round. Um, and we're up there for a lot of the race from my point of view. What about you? Are we contractually obliged to say world's fastest gamer, James Baldwin? No. <laughs> it just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's <laughs> the lad's been branded now. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, it was a run that we've come to expect from them. Um, I do find it, I mean, Michael O'Brien didn't show the pace um, through through the race. A part of that was the fact that they saved time um, in their first stop, I think it was, um, in that they sent Michael out on tyres that James had already done an hour on for a short stint, they didn't change the tyres and that impacted his pace and, and, and made him look slower. But James Baldwin is... The man's a machine. And I was watching... They've been putting out these videos of, of Real World versus Sim, of James doing laps in the RJN McLaren on the real track and on the virtual representation of the same track. And the Donington Park one they put out before this event, it was pretty much an identical lap time. I think the virtual car bogged down a little bit coming out the final quarter and might have finished a tenth down on the real car. It's, it's astonishing. And having that really strong... Uh, other silver, because there are no AMs in this class, they're both silver. Um, but having 
James being a very, very strong silver is what's building these guys a championship challenge. Yeah, RJ and like we we come to expect this for this first stint from um, James Baldwin, you know, where he just you know puts his plants his right foot on the on the accelerator and he and off he shoots into the distance and exactly what he did. Um, obviously the the short pit stop that Nick mentioned then uh, and not changing the tires maybe showed Mikey up to. Um, I not didn't allow him to show the pace that he has got, yeah. Um, but it also was noted on the commentary at, at one point where he um, where he hit one of the tire stacks on the on the entry to the to the chicane leading onto the loop. Um, and after that, he started to slow down quite significantly. Um, when like he thought there might be something wrong with the car, I don't know. But um, obviously they. You know they were able to keep if there was a fault with the car, they were able to keep it un, un, under control, and uh, and and bring it back for a decent position. Um, you know I, these guys, these guys, you know, otherwise can't really do much wrong at the moment. They, they, you know, if we're gonna, if we're gonna pick, you know, championship contenders, I mean, they might be, they might be in there for in there for a shot now. I think the lack of pace after clipping the the tyre bundle wasn't that he may have thought there's something wrong with the car. He knew he was out on dodgy old rubber. He'd had a moment at a point where you either have a little moment like that or a very, very big moment. Um, And I think it shows his maturity. He realised he'd pushed the tyres as far as he could and he needed to hold back because there's no point going for the place if you're on dodgy old tyres you're not going to be competitive and that move for the place is going to take you out of the race possibly you've got, yeah you've got you've got to be running at the end to, to to pick up the pot haven't you yeah exactly um the one thing i i will say and, it, and it, I, I i'm taking someone else's opinion now um it was actually graham johnson actually comment commentating on the on the replay um and he was saying that he was like he was saying, "Oh, Mikey is he's 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 faster than this." He, I, I, I didn't think I'd ever see him, you know, hold hold him back as much as what he is at the moment. So even you know someone who even someone who drove with Mikey last year, even he was saying, "Oh, there's some there could be something wrong here." You'd normally expect Mikey to be significantly faster. And then um, I, I do remember this. And then it came to light that he was running on old rubber. Yeah, yeah. So that, that those comments were made thinking that he was out on fresh stuff. At the start, James was a tiny, tiny bit behind Sander Han in the uh, Mercedes GT3. Um, but you seen he got his elbows out a bit. Didn't make contact with the Sander Han. But he definitely sort of made him go a bit wide, which I think we'll talk about in a second about what what happened with Sam. And also later on in the race, Michael O'Brien got stuck behind the Optimum McLaren and he couldn't find a way past. And I think they made their final pit stop earlier than they wanted to. So towards the end of the race, obviously that stopped them having as fresh tyres at the end. So second in the standings, we have Ram Racing. Uh, 171 and a half points in total so far on the standings. Uh, 
two cars, entered the number 6 and 69 Mercedes-AMG GT3, the number 6 driven by Ian Loggie and Yama Berman, and the 69 of Sander Hahn and Patrick Kajala. They took away 40 and a half points this weekend. And fair bit of uh, excitement for this team, as obviously we do have a race winner in amongst them. So let's talk about these. After their early laps, I don't think they even expected what they got. Because, I mean, ninth for the number six car, um, as a result of they had a spin, and I believe they also picked a penalty. Just double-checking on that one now. Yeah, they had a drive-through for um, track limits. But, yeah, they had a drive-through a, a drive for track limits, as you, as you say. But there are not many cars in any championship, let alone one as competitive as British GT, that can be pointing the wrong way at Hollywood on lap one and leading the pack to the chequered flag at the end of the race. Sam Dehan and Patrick Kajala overtook 23 cars to take their win. That's impressive. That's impressive in anyone's book. Not to go, not to go and show. Was it 23? Because one car was facing the wrong way and three cars were in the pit lane. <laughs> Being pedantic now. As Nick, uh, as 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 Nick said, to be pointing the wrong way on the first on the first lap and then uh, take a race win is is impressive. That that first stint from Sam was amazing. I've got to say, I mean, if if if, if there's going to be like a stint of the year, that I think that would be um, somewhere up near it. Um, you know, and then you know, Patrick just. Helped him, you know, help help the team, um, just keep progressing and progressing and progressing. Um, Ian Loggy had a had a had a, had a spin out early early in the early in the session, and and you know a penalty was afforded uh, for some track limits. Um, but you know, I, th- I, th- I think I think the team can't complain with a third in pro am and an overall win. Might have to be smug now. You can be no. smug all you like, mate. Oh, look, my, the, in our last episode, I chose Sam Dehan and Patrick Gajala to win the race. After the first corner, I went, oh, that went wrong. <laughs> the rest of the race, they drove that car, I think, as fast as they possibly could the whole race. They were on it every single lap, being brave with overtaking, being brave with the back markers. Strategy was... It's quite a simple strategy for them. They just went, for, they went for it, and they deserved that win. And uh, I think it was down to me. <laughs> I'm going to start calling Sam Dehan the bear because whoever it was that caused him to have the rotation poked him, and it came off badly for them. <laughs> it was. I mean, that car was on a mission, and Sam did five or six cars in his stint before handing over to Patrick, who then did five or six cars. They were, they were both properly fired up, and the attitude of the car 
was just stunning to watch because it's almost like the car was angry too the way that it was the way that it was carving through traffic i think i think we i think with both of those run mercedes you could tell they were well set up um you know neither of them were you know was looked skittish or, or anything like that. they looked like they were solidly planted to the ground um in terms of um if we're going to look at anything that caused that spin i think james baldwin pushed made didn't make didn't exactly make contact but he, he certainly used up all the track he could you know as he's quite right with but well within his rights to do you know what i mean without making contact and i think it was just the fact that sam got out onto that you know that green tarmac slashed the slashed the, the edge of the gravel and you know won the back and, and, that, and that back wheel just lit up and sent him round. I, I, I don't think i don't think i don't think there was any other cause from that i don't think there was any contact or anything like that so it was just it was just you know keeping your foot in when you could have lifted and maybe gone for the pass later on yeah very lucky not to get clobbered by anybody i think oh, yeah got, i think it was um the Ballon. i think it might have been the 72 yeah uh, yeah the 72 yeah it was got close and i think it was on the grass to get around him so yeah incredibly lucky to get away with that it's a long old car to spin around in a pack of traffic though isn't it <laughs> i think uh, when that one's broadside on, everybody's on the grass trying to get past it. Yeah, I mean, um, Ballon said in an interview that he, you know, he was he was he was following as closely as he liked, and then, you know, next thing you know, he's he's got his Mercedes spearing across his front, and he was going to go left, and but but you know, saw that the the way the Mercedes was spinning would have caused an accident, and went, and, and made the last minute decision to go right. You know, if if it hadn't been for that, then you know neither of car would have finished, which would have spiced up the championship no end. Oh yeah, but you know it would also have been you know very very nasty accident on the first lap. Very nasty it? accident and risk of injury and exactly even if there's no injury, very expensive. Yeah, it's not. You know, you 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 want to, you want to, you want to see that. You know, go to you know. Go to Silverson this weekend. I oh, know you can't because there's no tickets on sale. But um, you know, <laughs> turn on uh, ITV four on Sunday. Yeah, yes. just turn, turn on ITV four on Sunday afternoon if that's if that's what you want to see. You know, we want to see proper racing. We don't want to see you know nice cars in a, in a, in a, in you know in in bits and pieces on the track and drivers potentially being hurt. Do we have anything else to say about the number six? Yeah, I, Loggy drove an excellent race that's 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 that's, that's what it can be it can be all, all really be said i mean he he, he spun it out around by the old hairpin and um you know but other, other than that you know i don't think the car featured very much and and, and certainly the way that i had to re-watch the race after being trackside i've had to skim through it you know in in, in with you know just trying to catch up on the major points and i've got to admit i've got you know i didn't catch up with much of uh the number six's progress i've got nothing to add apart from the 
the Sage is only one centimetre longer than the McLaren. Really? So the Bentley is the longest car in the, on, the, on the field? Yeah, that's it to us. Uh, and the Lamborghini. Lamborghini is shorter. I haven't looked at the other ones yet. Because I know that people were saying that the Bentley was, that the Gen 1 Bentley was a big car. But the Nissan was actually bigger. Again, about a centimetre in it, but the Nissan was actually a bigger car. It looks on the mm. on the on the road. I mean, the yeah, wind... it's it's twenty centimeters longer than the Merc. What the Bentley? Yeah, bloody heck! <laughs> well, I was saying that I suppose the Mercedes is a supercar and the Bentley's a Grand Tourer, so you could fit a luggage in the boot, isn't it? I think the Bentley's rear wing hangs out five miles compared to the um, Merc, though, doesn't it? <laughs> There's a lot of real estate behind those um, rear, rear, rear mm. wing supports, yeah. Yeah, the Bentley's four nine fifty, and the Bentley the Merc is four seven something, and the McLaren's four six something. I think yeah. So anyway, we're waiting. Next brings us to the top of the standings, which is Barwell Motorsport, currently sitting with a hundred and ninety six and a half points. With two cars entered through the season, we had the number seventy two and the seventy eight out on the track at the weekend both Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evos with the 72 driven by Adam Ballon and Phil Keane the 78 Rob Collard and Sandy Mitchell they took away 39 points early part of this race proved that Phil Keane is probably one of the fastest pros we've ever had in British GT um Arwell made a decision to pit during the safety car um get Adam Ballon out and Phil Keane, with a clear track, was flying. I think he was up to like two seconds a lap quicker than the um, Baldwin was going at the, at the head of the field. And that, that sort of set them up ready to end up finishing second, second in the race. The 78, unfortunately, had a not only the success penalty, had to make its second pit stop earlier than planned because it had a slow puncher, or they would have gone a bit longer. See, that cause, when we all figured out what had happened and we found out they had a slow puncture, that caused quite a bit of hilarity because them making that second stop, that final stop there, triggered off everybody else's final stops. And they were all obviously responding to Barwell, thinking, well, Barwell must know something we don't. And it was responding to just... A quirk of fortune. Um, the Barwell car, I'll, I agree with you. It's if Phil Keane's reputation, reputation needed cementing at all, the one hour 39.51 that he did in the car, which, by the way, I remind you, one hour 40 is the limit. He's, they're only allowed to do 100 minutes. And he did one hour, 39 minutes, 51.842 seconds. Um, so they planned that one right down to the, right down to the nose. Um, I don't know whether it was reacting to the safety car, whether they might have planned to bring that car in first anyway. Because, I mean, you've got to do three stops. You only need two to get through the race. The regulations say that your slower driver has to start the race. It doesn't say your slower driver has to do more than one lap. 
at the start of the race. And if you can get your pro in to make hay while the AMs are, are doing their thing, it's a good way to make up some spaces uh, and, and to get track position. I don't think it was planned. Um, Ballon admitted himself that halfway down the back straight, he was told to pit as soon as the safety car came out. So it was. It wasn't. I don't think it was planned in any kind of way. They just and they just got him straight out of the car, and uh, in, in and installed Phil Keane. Um, so, you know. So and, are you telling me they didn't plan it, but even without planning it, they managed to cut Phil Keane's driving time to within eight point one. They, six eight seconds eight point one five eight seconds. Well, that's what a good that's what a good strategist will do. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, they, and they actually they actually said to Adam Ballon, like, you, you were you not kind of arguing against them? He goes, no, I'll just do as do as I'm told, and I got out of the car and let Phil take over. So <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, he 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 let Phil off. Off the, uh, he, he, they turned Phil on, and he, he went off, and you know, he, he t- to make to make up all the nice track places, and then and then let and then, and then let Adam get back in in the in the car, you know, to to do what he does. Um, the the the, the Sandy Mitchell, the, the Rob Collard that Sandy Mitchell car, um, you know, they they were having a good race as well. I mean, I think it was strategy, and what was do you say? It got you? I say it was a slow puncture there as well. I think that was think it was just strategy and 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 that they just let them down there. Otherwise, I think they'd have been well at least on the podium. Yeah, Rob Collard had gone long on his first stint, like they did last time in the two-hour race at Donington, and basically he was out of the car. He did an interview on TV, and all of a sudden the car was back in, and um, it was a case of like, yeah. oh, oh, hang on, is he ready? Is he gonna be ready? And um, off he went again. <laughs> San- well, Sandy. Sandy. Sandy Mitchell's first stint was 16 minutes, 19.662 seconds long. Yeah, I think they're planning for 40 ish. There's a Janetta Junior race that's longer than that. <laughs> so, with Phil Keane, the 72, um, Adam Ballon had to do his part as well. It wasn't all just down to Phil Keane um, to get the car with its strange strategy. Adam had to do his bit and he did his bit brilliantly and to come out second after a very, 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 very poor brands action for the car, to come out here and get this result and heading back to Snetterton, which is everyone think everyone knows is a Lamborghini circuit and Barwell seemed to own it for the last few years. You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. Follow us on social media at BGTF Show. Don't forget to check out our partners, British GT fans on social media, at Fans of British GT on Twitter and Instagram, and British GT fans on Facebook. So, as has become the usual custom when we're talking about the upcoming race, we thought we'd give you a bit of our guide to the circuit and getting to and from it. So, it's Nick and myself today. Gaz and Andrew have sent us through their tips from getting them from their respective parts, so we'll cover that as well. Uh, so, Nick, getting to Snetterton, let's talk about that first. Yes, um, the technical description is on the arse end of nowhere. Um, it's, well, it's just off the A11 between Thetford and Attleborough. Um, so for most people... The easiest way to do it is along the 14, 
just past Newmarket. There's two BP petrol stations here, the side of the 14, just a little bit past that towards Felixstowe. Um, there is a slip road off to the left, which becomes the A4, A, A11. You go straight over one, two, three, four, five roundabouts, uh, get onto a nice stretch of dual carriageway, and then the, uh, the circuit comes up on your right-hand side after about 10 miles. Um, other options for getting there, uh, running all the way across the 47 to Norwich and down, uh, down the 11, or uh, if you fancy something a little bit more rural and less dual carriageway type, uh, from the A10 at uh, just south of Kings Lynn, uh, you can pick up, I can't remember the number of the road, but it's uh, an A road that runs uh, through um, Thetford Forest and joins uh, joins the A11 at Thetford. It's all signposted for Thetford uh, coming across from there. So just follow the signpost for Thetford. When Would that you get be A134? It could be the A134, actually, yeah. Um, you get to a nice big, big roundabout. It's pretty obvious where you are. A11, hang a left there. And that's the last roundabout before that 10-mile stretch of, of dual carriageway that I was talking about. Okay, so moving on, when you get there, what's the uh, circuit like in terms of parking and accessibility? And do we need wellies? All depends on the weather, really. Um in terms of parking, it's parking on grass, um, as it is at most MSV venues. Um, the car park is on the infield of the circuit. So you come through the gate, follow the road round to the right over the bridge, and then there'll be a man there to direct you to, to where you need to park because there's sort of you come to a crossroads of three gates and it'll it'll point you through the right one. Um once you once you're parked up there, everywhere's a fair hike, um, being fair. But there are either tarmac or hard gravel roads throughout most of the venue. Uh, again, most of the spectator viewing is on grass as well. So if it is a wet run up to the weekend or actually wet at the, during the weekend, then you might want to bring wellies because some parts can get a little bit slippery. Mm, we've already said that given British GT isn't generally at Snetterton in October. Um, it is a little bit of an unknown quantity in terms of what can be expected for the weather. In the couple of days since it's recording the main part of the podcast and was doing the circuit guide, it's been relatively nice. Um, but we are at that point where it's kind of changing of the season. So uh, I think it brings something for every kind of weather, really. Yeah, but just just come prepared because you don't know what you're gonna what you're gonna face. And uh, as we found out on two endurance races on back to back weekends, the weather forecast can say one thing and it can do something completely different. So uh, just just be on your toes a wee bit. Absolutely. So moving on to the circuit itself, then. Let's talk about uh, kind of where is good for viewing, where is good for taking photographs. Viewing at Snetterton, um, there's certain parts that you could never view as a member of the public. That is the the Wilson hairpin from the inside, uh, Riches or uh, the first corner. You can't you can't view that directly as well. Um, the inside of Oggies, outside of Hamilton, sort of half of the Bentley Strait from 
from Williams down to Agostini. Um, that's because they're, they're closed off areas. The barriers are too close on each side. They can't make it safe for spectators. So any marshals and media are allowed in those areas. The exception to that is the inside of Richie's outside of Palmer, where there's usually a viewing mound. But you have to access that through the paddock. And of course, the paddock's going to be a closed environment for, for COVID reasons. So that first corner and Palmer viewing area, um, where you would get to see Scary Tree, or Tree as it's now known, um, that, that viewing mound will be closed off to spectators this time because of the bug. It does leave you a couple of options, mainly towards the tail end of the lap. Uh, most of the f- the first half of the lap is going to be fairly inaccessible to spectators. Um, you've got Agostini, which is the hairpin on the 100 circuit, the Sneston 100 circuit. That is a viewing mound which will give you views of the cars coming out of Parma, uh, going obviously through Agostini and Hamilton and then out towards Oggies. Once you get to Oggies, you tend to lose them a bit. But then you pick them up coming back down the Bentley Strait from from Williams heading towards Brundle. Um, But they're long sight lines. If you're looking to go taking photos at Snetterton this weekend, take a long lens with you if you have one, because otherwise you're in for a bit of a challenge. There is viewing all the way down the Bentley Strait on the outside of the circuit goes pretty much up to Williams and you can just about catch Montreal sorry um Wilson hairpin from that as well and those viewing mounds continue all the way around the circuit to between Bombhole and Corum so you've got options there outside of Corum there is viewing as well and then down the down the center straight to about 500 500 yards short of the first corner, you've, you've got viewing there as well. So let's move on to kind of the facilities that are available at Snetterton. Obviously, with the paddock being closed, that's going to cause uh, some issues. Uh, but what else can we expect? Right. Okay. So there are certain facilities, of course, everything, like at most MSV venues, everything is centered on the paddock. Um, so you're going to, things like the the merchandise shop um, and the main restaurant, which is, which is Tyrrell's, those are in the paddock. They won't be accessible. But down towards Murray's on the infield of the circuit, there is a toilet block there. And then just behind the toilet block, they have food vans. And I'm guessing that's where they'll set up the... Um, the easy ups where they do the the British GT merchandise and there's probably somebody there selling die cast cars and, and, and whatever. There will be probably a couple of food vans there. So ice creams, coffee, hot dogs and burgers and, and that sort of thing. Um, other than that, I don't know what they're planning on doing this, this weekend because so the main food offering is slap bang in the middle of the paddock. <laughs> As we've already said, Snetterton is a, is a bit out there in the sticks in the middle of nowhere. Um, so if you are there for the weekend, uh, let's have a look at kind of options for places to go that are nearby and places to stay. Um, this year, 
for the first time, there is actually stuff directly outside the circuit. They've built a new petrol station service area. Anybody that is familiar with uh, Euro garages will, will know the sort of offering because it's run by them. Uh, Greg's, Subway, McDonald's, and Starbucks are the main offerings there, apart from, of course, fuel for your car. A bit further afield, I mean, you've got one medium-sized town just to the north. That's Attleborough. And then you've got one fairly large town just to the south, which is Thetford. And they have all the usual chains. Um, well, Thetford does. Attleborough is it's more of a villagey town, so it doesn't have the big ones, but it does have a lot of independent things, Indians, Chinese, chippies, pubs that do food and, and things like that. Um, my favourite place to go has unfortunately been turned into a Starbucks since I was last there, so I can't really recommend that one anymore. You were saying there, Nick, then I would assume that kind of Setford is going to be the nearest uh, reasonable place where you're likely to find accommodation. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> all depends on your budget and when you're booking. Um the place that the SRO guys tend to stay is a place called Breckland Lodge, which is about five miles-ish north of the circuit. It is just off the 11. Uh, there's a pub there. They do a carvery as well. The food is good, but getting in there is going to be a challenge. So if you can get a space in there, that's great. Otherwise, down in Thetford, there's going to be a fair number of options. Um, I'd recommend... All I can suggest here is booking.com, hotels.com, um, because it's it's B&Bs and that sort of thing around there more than the major hotels. And with COVID, we don't know who's doing what, who's taking guests at the moment or anything. So have a have a good look at the comparison sites and, and you'll find something. There's a few nice B&Bs that I've stayed in around there, but to be honest, I tend to camp at the circuit. So, I mean, they don't, bat an eyelid when you pull up in your car, whip the tent out the back and pitch that next to the car. Um, the ground is not the softest, but it is the cheapest way to stay because they don't, they don't tend to charge for it. So we've already said that Snetterton is in probably one of the most inaccessible places in the country. There are a few routes in and few routes out. Um, as a result of that, it does mean that journeys take a fair bit longer than if you were going somewhere that was a little bit uh, more hospitable road-wise. So let's have a chat about what we do to break the journey, where it'd be good to stop for food on the way. Because um, I know when I travelled kind of Sheffield towards Norwich, it's been a good few hours, um, which considering as the crow flies, it's not actually that far does seem a little bit redundant. Yeah. Um, really, there's obviously there's four points of the compass. So let's deal with the four points of the compass. If you're coming from the east, then you're pretty much home already. So don't worry about it. But if you are feeling hungry on the way back, find a chippy because that's where most of the fish comes from. Uh, and there's going to be a decent chippy somewhere around there serving local fish. If you're heading in from the south, the southwest area, then there's a few routes you can choose from, and basically all of them lead to London. I am so, so sorry. 
Um, if you're heading Kent area, you're going to want to go across the four, down to the 14, across to the 12. That's the A14, which you'll pick up at, um, at Newmarket. Runs across to Ipswich, jump on the A12 down to just before, um, just before Dartford area on the M25. Down that way, I mean, there's a couple of truck stops at Risby, um, which you might be able to get into to to get something to eat. Uh, the Cooper's Cabin is a better one of the two. Um, good food, reasonable prices, but that might be a little bit too close. Um, heading down the 12, the A12, of course, the Ipswich, that's a, a fairly big city. You've got all the major chains just off the uh, A14, A14 there. Uh, down the A12, you've got Chelmsford, um, just before the M25. There's services at Chelmsford, which has McDonald's and Wildbeing Cafe. Just search search the internet for your, your 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 usual chains. They'll all be in that area. The other option is to run A14 to the M11 and down, uh, which will get you to the M25 sort of towards the top end of the M25, it comes in at Enfield. If you're going down that way, you've got Birchner Services just by Stansted, which is standard motorway service area. But aside from that, there really isn't a whole lot apart from a couple of petrol stations on the on the A14 and the A11. Um, some of them have more diverse hot food offerings. Most of them don't. Uh, of course, once you get down to Birchner, you then got you then get down to the M25 motorway. You're taking off their services off those. Um, but if you just, I mean, if you're heading past London, it's it's going to be a long journey. You're going to want to knock it out as quick as you can. Not going to want to go too far off the motorway looking for something to eat. The next way out is A14 all the way. Um, so you get onto the A14 um, where the A11 joins it, and you stay on the A14 all through the new road through Huntingdon, where, as we've said, on previous episodes, there is a service station there that you can stop at with the various fast food options and, and one of the chain pub situations. So um, your, your standard pub food and, and steaks from the grill, uh, etc. cetera. Uh, there's a few big towns just off the A14 as you're running through. There's Corby, Kettering, and they will have all the major chains. And then you're getting to two options. You're either heading north on the M1 or you're heading further west on the M6. And again, big city service areas really are the the order of the day there. The final way out of that particular part of the country, uh, you've got the two options, I say, going through Thetford Forest or going up to Norwich and then getting on the A47. The A47 uh, joins the A17 at Sutton Bridge. Um, there's a nice little little town at Sutton Bridge. You might find something sort of pub grubby in there, which is quite nice. Of course, Kings Lynn is just before it on the A17 as well. Big town. There's going to be options there as well. All along the A17, it is the main trunk road, despite the fact it's mainly single carriageway and lots of roundabouts. It's the main trunk road for getting most of the UK's homegrown fruit and veg out of the east of England and off to the rest of the country, which means all down there you've got three or four truck stops and a number of little 
villages with pubs and things like that that you can stop at. Um, there's a couple of truck stops basically opposite each other, Lodge Farm and another one whose name I can never remember. I just remember it as being the one with the tanks and planes in the car park. So if you see a, a fighter jet parked at the side of the road, you know you can pull in there and get something to eat. It won't cost the earth. Heading further out, you're then getting to the A1 at, at Newark. Um, there are main chains at Newark as well. And if you're going further north, um, obviously you, you're going to be sticking to major roads, so it's service areas. If you're heading further west for, for, from Newark, then you're coming through through Leicester or Nottingham. And, and obviously there's options there as well. Okay. And lastly, any final tips for anyone planning to attend? Bring a brolly. <laughs> yeah, it's even with restricted access, which is what you're going to get this time because of COVID and no access to the paddock. You can't get great views of quite a bit of the circuit, but you can get a view of most of it. It's, let's say, it used to be a farmer's field before they started building racetracks on it. And this is obviously years and years and years ago. But there isn't a massive amount of gradient change at the circuit. The only real up and down is at Bombhole. And I'm guessing you can figure out why it's up and down, given the name of it. Um, so from Agostini, if you get to the top of the viewing mound at Agostini, you can see most of the circuit. The other thing I will say is, off the top of my head, I think there is one grandstand at the entire venue, and that is down at Murray's. I would bring a deck chair or a camping chair or something upon which to sit, because it's a long old day to be standing up, and it's a small grandstand, and they're going to need to socially distance, so they're not going to be letting a lot of people into it. The the final thing that I will say and when we've hinted on it already is your sat nav your google will give you a decent idea of how long it's going to take but when it tells you it's going to take two hours give yourself two and a half to three because it's amazing how much time you lose with all the roundabouts in that area along the major roads along the uh along the a11 along the 47 and, and, and the a17 it's the sat nav doesn't really take into account how long it takes to slow down and get up to speed and let the cars that are coming from your right get out and this that, and the other. So leave a bit longer to get anywhere around there because it does take a bit more time. Okay. So as ever, if you are planning to attend, you do need to make sure that you buy your tickets in advance. They are available up until 4pm on Friday. And those of you going, don't forget to take some pictures. Um, we are doing photo reports the most recent one is up on the website now at bgtfshow.co.uk um, and we'll also have a guide for what makes a good submission up there fairly soon so don't forget to check that out and of course if you have any questions about routes in things to do other than racing why the GT4 cars have got a different colour sun, sun banner than, than the GT3 cars. Anything at all from the most basic question to the most advanced, get on the social media and use hashtag AskBGTFShow. We, we started that at the Donington Park weekend. And as we've said, a hashtag isn't just for race day, it's for life. 
So any questions, anytime, give us a shout on that. And if we don't know the answer, we'll find it for you. So that's it for this episode of the British GT Fan Show and our double episode reviewing Donington Park. Join us after Snetterton as we break down all of the action from those races and for another guest special interview soon. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fan Show. Remember, the show's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website, www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media, at bgtfshow. British GT Fan Show is a Storm Vixen creative and RPS-driven media production. To find out more, visit our website at www.bgtfshow.co.uk.